Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast. It's volume 8, issue 396, The Evil Within 2. You can play along with our upcoming podcast as we race towards the end of another volume. We celebrate the 40th anniversary of Atari's Asteroids. And we'll also talk about its follow-ups and sequels and spiritual successes and things like that in an all-encompassing show. Following that, it's The World of D&D. Planescape and its torment. Uh, after that, we continue our look at some Donkey Kong games with Country Returns from the Wii and the 3DS. And we round off the year and our epic Final Fantasy series of podcasts by looking at Final Fantasy 15. And then we'll bid you farewell for a few weeks for the holidays. You can get every show early, including the start of next year's shows, if you subscribe and give us a dollar a month. That's all at our patreon.com slash cane of rinse 77p at the time of recording or 0.9 euro for extended shows, early shows, an extra show and three month early format specials, including our Dreamcast podcast right now. We also have other podcasts, as you know, Sound of Play on Wednesdays, Playwright on Thursdays, The Sausage Factory on Fridays, all different shows, different presenters, different hosts, different remits, but all fun times with your pals from Kane and Rince. Please do subscribe, review and rate this show and all of those wherever you get them. You can listen to this one on Spotify if it's your convenience. We're also doing quite a bit of video stuff at the moment, so join in. Keep up to date with us on social media, Twitter and so on, and then look out for the announcements. Hop over to Twitch if you can live, or then the streams go up on YouTube. We got uh, the likes of Mikhail here and Darren and Chris playing games, talking over them, and chatting in the chat windows for your entertainment. Anyway, canorince.com is the place to go. It's the kind of hub, and you can find everything we do branching out from there. You know how the internet works by now, right? Joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 396, are Jacob Geller. What the? <laughs> the Evil Within. Uh, the Evil Without, Leah Haydu. Hello. And The Evil in Holland, Mikhail Croder. Gonna stab the shit out of you. <laughs> okay. That was uh, a line, by the way, uh, when Sebastian looked at uh, one of the antagonist's uh, photographs and yeah. it just becomes very aggressive looking at that photograph. Yeah. Which I, I, which I found kind of amusing. I don't think he's all that well together. I don't think he's that well <laughs> collected in the mind. Uh, but it's, it's understandable when you think about what happens to him in, of course, the. Yeah across the course of both games anyway so this is of course the sequel to the game we covered a month or so ago by tango gameworks published by bethesda again uh, but different director so although shinji mikami's name was still very much associate associated with his product he actually took an executive producer role handing the reins over to john johannes i guess possibly johannes he was the director for the two DLCs that came towards the end of the Evil Within's cycle, The Assignment and The Consequence. The producer is Shinsaku Ohara, who'd previously worked on Dead Rising 2 and Very Doom. Mm -hmm. The designer this time, Shigenori Nishikawa, Resident Evil 4, Vanquish and The Evil Within 1. Uh, and we got some interesting credits on behalf of the coders as well, some people that obviously... In the case of Toshihiko, Tsuji had worked with Shinji Mikami at Capcom because his credits involved Dark Stalkers, The Night Warriors, Pocket Fighter, 
and the original Dead Rising, yeah. which, if you recall, back in 2005-06 was quite a technical tour de force on the then brand new Xbox 360. And, of course, and these other three games are all like certified CPS2 classics. Yeah, but in a very different genre, of course, although yeah. horror in the Darkstalkers uh, region. But yeah, it's mm. interesting thinking about the Dead Rising connection with this game. Actually, I, I would say this game has some similarities with the general format and layout of that with the sort of open world. It's kind of stalking zombies and kind of getting through crowds and things like that, maybe. Uh, also worked on this game, Taichi Machino, who previously worked on Kid Icarus Uprising on the 3DS, as well as Sonic and the Black Knight on the Wii. Huh. Uh, the writers, uh, again, it's not Shinji Mikami. We've got Syoji Ishimine on the story and the setting. We've got a screenwriter, Trent Hager, with the screenplay, uh, and they were overseen by Hajime Ishimine. Hmm. And composer-wise, Masatoshi Yanagi previously notably only worked on Killer is Dead. So quite a lot of new and different staff compared to the original is the point we're making. Also a new engine. I think the previous game was Unreal, wasn't it? But this one was made in Capcom's own, or not Capcom's, what am I saying? Tango's own STEM engine made kind of specifically for the game. And I think the differences are fairly apparent. It's also apparent that this game was only made for the three main current gen formats of the time the pc the ps4 and the xbox one uh, whereas if you recall the evil within also was on ps3 and 360 and perhaps uh, technically in some areas suffered for that on the current gen machines came out in october 2017 and the reviews were actually very very similar looking at the overall consensus compared to the evil within one with the Xbox One version doing best with just under 82% average score and the PS4 version had the most reviews and averaged 76% or thereabouts. And there was a decent P uh, PC port this time as well, which is the only version that you can play at a locked 60 FPS if you have the kit. We mentioned this in the previous The Evil Within show, but the sales, it turns out, although this is unconfirmed, were pitiful. Compared to the original, especially which sold about 4 million copies, I think we established, 0.75 million copies. Now, I'm sure that's crept up a bit over time with digital sales and so on, but really that had to be quite a disappointment for Bethesda and probably means we'll never see another one in the series, probably. Um, and certainly, yeah, we didn't get a huge amount of correspondence for this, suggesting that, yeah, not many of our community played it either. However, I think people will be interested to hear about it. Uh, people who played it seem to like it a bit more than the reviewers did at the time. On IMDb, it's got an 8.4, which is pretty healthy. And the Steam reviews, recent reviews, are overwhelmingly positive, with a very positive overall. So that's pretty decent. Spoiler warning, there is a story. Whether we can recreate it and retell it is another matter. But we'll fumble about and see what comes out, the, the elements we cared about. Uh, my history with this is very quick and very simple. I bought it digitally on PS4 for the show and I played it on PS4 Pro for about 20 something hours and finished it a couple of weeks ago and had a little three hour jump into New Game Plus as well. That's it. <laughs> Basically, I didn't play it at the time because I hadn't played the original. So uh, I saved it and here we are. Uh, Leah, what about you? Yeah, I picked it up. Not at launch, but pretty, I, I think it was probably in like one of the holiday sales around that year or, or something uh, similar. Because um, mm. I remember that I did not pay full price for it. I waited for it to go on sale because I had liked the original, but not 
maybe enough to to go headfirst into the sequel. Um, So I did pick it up um, a while ago, but I did only just play it for the show. So uh, also PS4 Pro. Uh, I my playtime was a bit less. Um, Mm -hmm. I played on a lower difficulty than I I would guess that um, that some of you guys did. I found it um, and we'll get into this more, but I found it to be more difficult than the first game by a significant Mm -hmm. amount. Interesting. Um, But uh, yeah, so I I think I ended up somewhere in the 13 to 14 hour range. And okay. um, I also finished it uh, in this past week. That's interesting. I actually thought it was, I, well, I found it. This is the subjectivity, subjectivity of difficulty that McKeel's talked about before. I actually found it easier overall, Ooh. and I stayed on the survival difficulty the whole way through. Interesting. <laughs> Different gameplay, I guess. Jacob, what's your history with The Evil Within 2? Yes, also not much history. I uh, very intentionally didn't play it until we had recorded the Evil Within one show because I didn't right. want it to kind of color my view of that game. Um, but I was really looking forward to it. And so pretty much as soon as we wrapped recording on that, I picked it up and downloaded it and played it through and then have kind of yeah gone gone through to some extent again since. Nice. OK, Mikhail. Yeah, nothing spectacular here either. Um, I saw it laying in a toy store, the, the PC DVD ROM, uh, yeah, a hard copy of the game for ridiculously little money. And I was yeah. thinking I would, I wanted to play this at some point, so it might be a cool thing to get. Uh, of course, getting a yeah a physical release of a PC game is kind of useless because you just install it on your hard drive and play yeah. it from there, and it's merely mer- an uh, activation thing. Yeah. Um, but still, it's sometimes it feels kind of good to have certain games to have some sort of physical memento of them uh, sitting on your shelf. Grab uh, it, sniff it, clutch yeah, it. Exactly. There's a box put I can it, look put at. Put it under when, your pillow. Whatever yeah. you want to do with it. What it's a little bit, a little, little bit more like than than a title that that <laughs> lights up in your uh, in your Steam library. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, and I, I just. Yeah, I installed it pretty quickly, just played a little bit of the beginning and then went back to the Evil Within 1 and decided to pick it up after I had completed that game. Mm. What's interesting is as well, I think we came out the last show, if you haven't listened to it already, listen to uh, most of us very much erring on the side of positivity with a lot of caveats. And I think the listener correspondence mostly went along with that too. Here we've got a game that I felt like going into it had a slightly stronger rep for at least being a kind of slicker product and, and you know, th- that they'd maybe learned stuff from the original and hadn't repeated mistakes and stuff like that. And certainly the the sort of the user reviews that we quoted there seemed to echo that. But yet the correspondence we got from our own forumites, obviously it's not necessarily extensive. It's not everyone who listens to the show who has played it, but... It just turns out that the people who were motivated were all kind of middling on it. And I'm interested to find out because I actually don't really know how much you guys enjoyed it. And I don't think you guys know how much I enjoyed it or not. So this is going to be a, an element of discovery. But we will hear from these uh, correspondents and find out why they were sort of middling on it. If that's yeah, not being overly simplistic about their opinions. Deadpool Negative is the first correspondent who we'd like to hear from. KenRince.com slash forum. Deadpool Negative says, I was lent The Evil Within 2 by a friend when my roommates and I picked up a PS4. I knew very little about the original except for the involvement of Shinji Mikami, that it was a hit, and it was weird, crazy, and gory. I also noticed this time the game was written by Trent Hager, a screenwriter whose work I normally enjoy. The combat is solid, even on the lower difficulty there are some tense moments. 
and there's plenty of fun ways to destroy enemies, but there was something about it that never quite clicked, that never quite got out of first gear. The game starts with that venerable video game protagonist, the alcoholic, grieving father, searching for some sort of redemption and discovering that, surprise, his dead family member may not be dead after all. The setup is familiar, although Hager and the writers try hard to make us care. The problem is, the most interesting thing about the game's setup, that double surprise, Myra has been working with Mobius the entire time to save Lily and is actually the final boss, is kept from the player until the final chapters of the game. The game doesn't do quite enough to establish Sebastian's relationships with his wife and daughter to have the sort of impact that I think it should. It doesn't help that uh, Marcus, I think it's Bobasik, isn't it? Um, it's a Canadian Polish name or something like that, uh, is the guy who plays Sebastian. Uh, and El Elizabeth Sadar give relatively flat performances as Sebastian and Myra respectively. The story's strongest thread is Kidman and Sebastian's friendship as she tries to make amends for what she and Mobius did to Sebastian, something that pays off in a surprising way in the final chapter. Of course, The Evil Within 2 is a game that loves its fake-out final bosses. Wait, the big bad is Stefano Valentini. Oh wait, no, it's Father Theodore. Psych, it's actually Myra Castellanos. These reveals don't quite hang together. In fact, they seem to pad out the narrative, making a 6-8 to eight hour game a 10-14 to 14 hour one. I think maybe the big issue is for a game set in a semi-open world, The Evil Within 2 feels incredibly small. There are some secrets to be had in the town of Union, but there's very little to do. The number of side quests is minimal. To be honest, there's only two, and the rest of the side content is basically item hunts. I often wondered if this game was a victim of budget constraints or some other issue. There's disappointing enemy variety, and I often found the hand a handgun did the job as well as any other weapon, although the crossbow did make quite a bit of mischief. It may be a bizarre way to describe it, but in the end I'd call The Evil Within 2 pleasant. It didn't suck, but it wasn't great. It was fun to play for a while, but I think in the end it struggles to justify its runtime. At least it ties off the storyline with minimal sequel tees, and judging by the sales, that was a wise move. Any thoughts on Deadpool's response there? Well, I, I just want to say that one of the things for me that um that I, I sort of agree with, um, and I, I don't think that Deadpool Negative here is, um, is is pulling this out as a specific thing that they didn't like about the game. But um, they do mention uh, that the, the fake out final bosses, and that was, I think, my major problem with the storyline because I really liked the the whole. I, I liked both sides of the game, but it didn't seem like they fit together very well because you have kind of the first half that deals with um that deals with Stefano and and that whole uh, kind of serial killer line and then you have the boss fight that you know just kind of cuts off that half of everything and then you go into this completely different storyline that mm. is only kind of nominally tied to Stefano and and everything that was going on with him like you you get some backstory as to oh yeah well he was he was under father theodore's control the entire time but that's it it didn't it it, it just kind of felt like two separate games mushed into one and i liked both sides of it but i would have liked to have seen them tie it together a little bit better yeah i'll kind of echo what leah said there and i and i want to you know i'll probably say this many times throughout this podcast but i found the end of this game really compelling like like the yeah. story wise in a way that i truly didn't expect to and I also found the beginning of it 
very compelling, but it yeah, it doesn't quite hold together as a cohesive work because I, I couldn't tell you kind of what parts of the beginning were actually foreshadowing where we end up. You know, it, it just seems like you kind of do this and there's a whole big thing and then and then you kill the cameraman and then and then you kind of go on to a different thing. But taken independently I think they work shockingly well. You know, I was really surprised yeah. with how I how much I ended up like empathizing with this story. Yeah, I agree. I I also really liked the the whole ending sequence. Mm-hmm. Um and 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 how the, it it would feel weird to me to say that I think that it should have that they should have cut out all the Stefano stuff and just focused on the other because I, as I say I really did like that stuff. It just it just didn't seem to mesh and I don't know what the solution mm. is there if there is one. It seemed more like, felt more to me like the Valentini stuff was a kind of extended homage to the Sander Cohen bit from Bioshock. Mm-hmm. It did have a uh, lot of that in it, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought it did it well. It did it pretty well. I did not care for that mm. boss fight very much, but mm. um, I I did like the the uh, everything leading up to it. Like I liked I, I liked how they drew out that mystery. Yeah, it was pretty spooky and unsettling. I must say. Um, Some good the, tricks played on the player visual and yeah, audio and visual. Sort of, yeah, really contributed to the game having me on edge for the longest, even in areas that weren't, uh, you know, I, I never knew if I was entirely safe anywhere. So I was, uh, yeah, especially in the the early half of the game, I was, uh, yeah, yeah, more more on edge than I can yeah. remember being in any horror hmm. game that came before it. Yeah, I suppose my biggest issue with the setup. Now, we probably criticised the game, I think, in the, the previous show, the previous game, for giving Sebastian Castellanos, your avatar, your protagonist, this dark backstory of losing his family members and, and so on, and then didn't really do anything with it other outside of some flavour text. This time, it very much does, but to do it rather than just make it something that he experiences and and going into he ends up back obviously he has to end up back in the stem system in this virtual world of horror for the game to make any sense if you if you keep the same protagonist but the the making his daughter kind of this kind of chosen one figure for this system effectively just seemed like a real clumsy bit of retconning to me well, they didn't take his daughter because he had messed up the STEM system in the first game. It, it just, it kind of seems yeah. like just a coincidence, you know? Exactly, like, yeah. It, 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 it everything happens. was already done by that point, and it, yeah. the first time he went in, it didn't really have anything to do with that, so... Precisely, if you look yeah. into the, the, game, the, the timeline of the two games, yeah, Lily had always already been taken, of mm-hmm. course, because That's that right. fire happened before the first game. Yeah. So I guess... She was, you know, you have to make a lot of stretches in this game for for, for things to make sense uh, story-wise. So you would have to think, okay, maybe they were working on the Lily STEM system as a backup or as an alternative project to the, the whole Rubik uh, and Leslie thing. So, yeah, so a lot of stretches to be made. Some of what they do in the DLCs for the first game does tie some of it together. I played those after we recorded yeah, I didn't, uh, and, so. and before I started this. But it's because, it, I mean, the, the thread that really ties the whole thing together is Kidman, right? Like she's 
she's but but even then when they send her into the stem system in the first game it doesn't have anything to do with lily and the fact that sebastian is also there is still kind of a coincidence so it's it's just it's weird i don't know yeah yeah another strange thing is that um uh myra being uh working working for for mobius is also very strange because you know (laughs) mobius basically kidnapped her daughter and and then and then they would let her uh, then they would put her on the payroll as well and uh, let her take care uh, care of her daughter or look after her daughter. So yeah, they didn't think she might be a little upset about that. For, like, for, yeah. Funnily enough, with this game, it tries to explain things more or make things more palpable than the more nebulous first game, but ca- comes up ca- uh, comes off uh, raising more questions for me mm. about its whole setup. Something something that I did really like about this, and this isn't with the, the story specifics as much as just kind of the, the scenario, is I did not expect for it to be as directly linked to the first game um, mm. in terms of not in terms of like actual plot mechanics, but in terms of like basically Sebastian's trauma and and the ways that that manifested. And so I was really I was really pleased to have just played the first one when playing this. Because there are tons of times when it flashes back to, um, you know, two situations in the first game and and, and the end, um, you know, the end kind of goes through like a greatest hits of bosses. But even before that, you know, there's this kind of like ghostly character that will start following him. That's really, I guess, kind of the aura of of his trauma from from Beacon. Um, And it was I, I thought that you know, as someone who kind of didn't have any time for the story story in the first game, I thought that was a really cool way of linking the two. And when that happened, I was, I was, you know, pleasantly surprised that they were bringing as much connective tissue as they did. Is the suggestion that the writing team on this game being all different to the first game didn't care for the story in the first game either because they dropped Ruvik and the plot of him escaping at the end in Leslie's body they dropped that like a a hot turd some part of me was hoping for Ruvik to return at one point and and work together with uh, Sebastian to take out Mobius oh right yeah Yeah. (laughs) they don't even really mention Ruvik I mean maybe Uh, once or twice in like some throwaway dialogue but like that was a pretty major thing that happened uh, those sections that uh, Jacob Describe yeah. sometimes you see his face flash up and, and there's uh, a game one boss rush which i thought was awesome actually but mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh not sure exactly but you don't face rubik a... in that you're like yeah, no, that's that's no <laughs> yeah no Laura, that's yes true. rubik no also good point and yes i enjoyed it because i'd quite enjoyed the previous game and it was oh, neat, i was pissed and it when was laura a... picked when laura popped back i was like no yeah, not again right. go away yeah I had a flamethrower waiting for her, so that was dealt uh, with very, very oh, quickly. There's a, yeah, I noticed there's like a trophy for that or an achievement uh, for having your own uh, kit for dealing with that particular ah. monster. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I used the, the old-fashioned method again. I did too. <laughs> I think I forgot I had a flamethrower. In fact, uh, yeah, I, didn't... I don't. I never really used mine. Oh no, I fix. I didn't fix mine up. Yeah, I did I fix that, mine. Yeah. Um, I, I fixed mine up, but I was thinking I'm facing all these fiery enemies all the time. So I was yeah. just carrying a flamethrower around, <laughs> and then I I saw Laura, and it and she insta killed me, and then it started clicking. Hey, all made sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, how did you guys feel about the recasting? So, according to IMDb trivia, Anson Mount and Jennifer Carpenter did not reprise their roles of Sebastian Castellanos and Julie Kidman, respectively. Bethesda 
the Evil Within 2's publisher, refused to make an official comment stating the reason for the recastings. I think the cast is mostly Canadian in this game, which you can definitely hear at points. Uh, there's a lot of, um, I would say, Canadian inflection on these supposedly American characters. Um, Sometimes, yeah. Um, you know, which is something we're actually quite used to, I think. And, and it's, you know, it's certainly not a deal breaker necessarily, but it's it's a curious choice. Um, and I don't, yeah, I don't know whether it was personal or political, the reason they changed it up. Um, I don't think Marcus Bobasik did anything particularly noticeably different or better than, than his predecessor. Was it just game. me or was he really trying to channel uh, Clint Eastwood all the time? Maybe it was a combination of uh, Sebastian's uh, facial modeling in this game, where it looks like he's permanently clenching his teeth together. Yeah, and then with, the, with the growls, I got very, yeah, very, very Clint Eastwood. All a bit uh, cliched, vibes from him. really. Yeah. Like, I, I think, I, 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 I totally understand why they went with this detect, hard-bitten detective sort of noir type anti-hero character, but. I think this, personally, both games, I think in this series would have been, although it may have seemed derivative in its own way, would have been better served by Silent Hill style everyman's, especially given the, the amount of stamina you start off with in both games. <laughs> it's yeah. very reminiscent of, uh, of Harry and, and James in the original Silent Hill games getting out of puff after jogging <laughs> yeah. 20 yards because they smoke 60 a day. <laughs> I have to say, I didn't uh, notice that either of them had changed, which maybe speaks to my uh, their feelings towards the first game's right. performance. But I did. Um, I, I assumed that it was the same nurse as the first one. And nope. I actually was it was she new as well. No, I think yeah. the nurse is the same. OK, um, yeah. Um, well, I felt like we'll I felt like she. Yeah. She delivered some very good spooky lines. And I actually ended up liking her more in this game than I did in the last, as they seem to kind of, like, lean into her, um, uh, you know, kind of insubstantiability as a, a character versus just, like, a figment of his imagination. Um, but I but I liked her a lot. Yeah. And I, I, it was nice to see her showing up again. She plays things up more, uh, a lot more, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, update, update, it is a different voice actress. I yeah. was incorrect. <laughs> Sorry. I think it's the whole cast. Yeah, yeah. the whole cast yeah. is uh, yeah. casted differently. Mm. A short thing about uh, Sebastian uh, as a character is that I, I do think there are some effective things about him, especially I think the Father Theodore plot is uh, it's pretty effective at uh, showing character develop, uh, development in Sebastian. Uh, you know, Father Theodore basically being almost a, or, or functioning as a symbol of his guilt and his fears and everything, and he managed to overcome that in the end, which feels pretty satisfying story-wise, I think. But he doesn't show up until like, like I said, like halfway through the story, yeah. which was yeah. my major no, problem. No, but I'm, with I'm, that. I'm talking about that whole Father sure. Theodore plotline in isolation, basically. Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah, it's yeah. quite unusual. I felt the 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 sort of um, bait and switch of final bosses i don't recall playing i'm sure i have but i it, it felt quite fresh for for you to be going after this one guy for what felt like half the game and yeah. then and, this and other guy's supplanted and then another you know yeah. it's, then it's a third different character and it's not exactly i mean uh if you if you pay a bit attention it's not exactly you know not nothing comes exactly out of thin uh manifests itself out of right. thin air because there are lots of clues in okay somebody's controlling this valentino guy or uh yes. valentini guy or yeah. so, somebody is behind all this and they sort of 
started making implications. And Julie Kidman, in the beginning, before he goes to the stem, uh, tells Sebastian somebody's waiting in there for him. Mm. Uh, so there's always this sort of wondering, like who who is the person that's waiting in there for him? You know, and there's there's multiple hints at it, but it's yeah, it's it's not exactly <laughs> uh, spelled out for you. Let's hear from another correspondent. They give us some more talking points. Nick's Blaster from the forum says the story for The Evil Within 2 is somewhat more character focused than its predecessor with an emphasis on Sebastian and how he has to deal with both his past guilt and the revelation that his daughter is still alive. I don't think the story is exceptional by any means. In fact, one might be able to call it predictable, but it's perfectly functional for getting you from point A to point B. Unlike the first Evil Within, you're able to follow what's going on and what is driving Sebastian and some of the other characters forward. This is both a positive and a negative in my eyes, as by making the story more straightforward, I feel like the game loses the tense, mind-jarring atmosphere that the first game did so well. When it comes to characters, I think Sebastian leaves a better impression here than he did in the original game. He is still a bit of a, a wet noodle when it comes to certain situations and how he reacts to certain things but snippets of his personality come through enough in his actions, in his interactions with Kidman and his family. I think the game does a decent job showing the player the depth of Sebastian's grief and how he finds himself stuck in this loop of self-pity and anger with his drive for finding his daughter being the only thing holding him together. Sebastian does go through some subtle character development by the end, which feels slightly lukewarm, but makes for some tender moments with his daughter and wife and a moment of badassery when he encounters a familiar face from Beacon wielding a chainsaw. In regards to the side characters, I found them to be forgettable in a horror movie kind of way, but I do like how they expanded on Kidman's character a bit. I just wish we got to see more of her and learn more about her. I also wish that the villains Stefano and Father Theodore had a bit more depth to them, as well as other than just being evil for the sake of being evil. Of the two, I found Stefano to be more interesting with his random teleportation moves and his ability to freeze time. Theodore just seemed like he was there to give Sebastian's guilt a more tangible form for him to, fright, uh, to fight and confront. That is very true, but I do think that uh, Father Theodore was kind of a menacing presence as well. And I like, I'm more, I'm more attracted to the idea of uh, an NLP specialist, cult leader, mind manipulator mm -hmm. uh, as, a, as a villain than your average serial killer that makes uh that finds beauty in uh in slaughter yeah i can go along with that yeah i i think that mot motivations for theodore and and kind of how he fits in storyline wise probably did make him the more effective for me as well um i i stefano is definitely a disturbing villain but he you you could have like he kind of could have been in any game you know yeah yeah <laughs> and it's weird mm. how much uh how much billing the game gave him like i remember you know years before mm. i played it it's like he is on like posters for this Prime and up. stuff yep. you know like like he stefano was really front and center and yeah he kind of yeah. he kind of just doesn't end up going anywhere yeah well, we're going to talk about art design and i think stefano's instrumental in the game's art design right <laughs> mm. uh, not going no not coincidentally of course mm. uh and he gives the uh, much of the game's artistic flares, uh, what Stefano delivers. Mm. Uh, HMS Polio from the forum said, the brilliantly deadpan performance of nurse Tatiana, Laura Downs, made every new line of dialogue from her a treat. Uh, one approval for the recasting. Woohoo! <laughs> 
Let's talk about the visuals then. Uh, first person play is now an option. I thought that's worth mentioning. I don't know if anyone elected to play it that way. I considered it a, a third person game and I was going to stick to that, but did yeah, there is, try it? There is one section where they force you into first person and I did not like that. So, uh, uh-huh. yeah. yeah. Um, no, I actually, so for my kind of like new game plus, I played yes. probably four to five hours in first person and it's yeah. it's really interesting because in the in the section that they force you into it you don't actually shoot at all it's you know it's yeah. like there's mm. explosive gas or whatever so you can't oh, shoot yeah. your gun yeah. um but it like it works really well especially there's the pistol you pick up with a laser sight and so like using a laser sight instead of just like a reticule in first person is really interesting and it, and it makes some scenes more tense um it's certainly not like designed for it but it is just a, a fun different way and it's perfectly functional yeah nick's blaster again says i think it was cool that the developers included a first person mode which i ended up trying for a bit however because of the limited visual feedback and tunnel vision this mode induced i quickly turned the game back to third person there was also that conversation last time about the letterboxing which was kind of baked in but it wasn't real letterboxing it was just masking portions of the screen it's now not there by default it's unlockable for completing the game complete with a sarcastic achievement or trophy for turning it on so i guess they took that that on board uh, maybe the the new producers and de- uh, directors were less keen on that particular thing than shinji mikami and also of course this was being developed only for the the more technically capable machines so perhaps they didn't need to rely on reducing how much of the the graphics were being pumped out at a time um the first thing I wanted to say about the visuals was because I, I pretty much fired this up on PS4 Pro the minute I stopped playing the Xbox One unenhanced version of the original. The graphics immediately just looked like, yeah, next gen. It was it was such a huge leap. And the thing that really stood out to me early on, as well as yeah, just the general clarity and high resness of everything, was the um, the green goo went from looking like this indistinct little you know pile of bogey mush to this beautiful gloopy bubbly kind of glowing toxic noxious mess um and that was kind of really a standout for me um and yeah overall i think the the visuals throughout are, are very crisp and clear and even the game's two years old now and um i think it does take advantage of the ps4 pro i'm not sure if the xbox one x version is in any way enhanced but it definitely looks like a, a it it stands well uh, alongside games i've been playing on on the current gen machines in recent times as well yeah i think um technically it's it's looks great and and i you know i played it on a pc and it looked great the whole time but really the art direction in this game is phenomenal and it and it comes right off the bat you know the the kind of intro like title screen where it's it's essentially him going into the sunken place like in get out but yeah. I think actually this game came out before Get Out um, and yeah, and is is really striking where he's in the black void. And then and then you're in that kind of empty house and you're seeing the people that Stefano has killed like in slow motion in this, you know, really grotesque, beautiful way. And and the game, the red flowing curtains. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't quite keep up that level of of like interesting ideas throughout the entire Mm. run but you do get hit with them pretty frequently and yeah it just seems like they kind of 
had images in their mind of these like really stunning vistas and and worked out how to get them into the game and yeah i it it had some some visual inventiveness and visual horror that we can talk about in a little bit that was really beyond anything i was expecting someone yeah, has definitely watched six... some twin peaks <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. The, the, with the, the floor the floors and the curtains yeah, that, the, sure. the, that that that's just the red room that's all that is <laughs> like... <laughs> Yeah, I went from 360 to uh, current PC with Mac settings. Um, technically, an enormous leap, of course. Uh, and I do agree with uh, with Jacob that the yeah, like that those kind of sections, like the the opening, are very strong. But then you know, and this is kind of on purpose. Uh, but then when you get into Union, into the the yeah the the Amer- Americana. Uh, suburban town like uh, mm. uh, area and um, I do think from an art design perspective sometimes this game is not as uh, interesting or as high on detail I should say yeah I would agree with a, that a lot, a, lot, a lot more blandness going on but on the other hand the flip side to that is that it made the game more scary for me like so, so when you see all the grotesquery and all the detail in the first game after a while you become numb to it but this sort of more grounded area where things are just a little bit wrong and a little bit off or very wrong and off uh, at times mm. uh, make, made me feel more unsettled and more again on edge and obviously i think probably the most striking visual stuff and this goes back to that promotional art and the cover of the game and we've had a lot of fun now most people won't be aware of this because they're not in on our slack chat and they don't necessarily follow us on social media or whatever but um we've been having fun talking about the 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 white liquid theme of the game um so okay so i have a question yeah uh, what is that supposed to be well my so i've thought about this a lot Firstly, I wanted to say that <laughs> away because from... someone didn't, yeah, someone didn't think that all the way through. So I want to know I what know. they intended. I, I think it's quite deliberate. I think it's quite mm-hmm. deliberate. But actually, the thing I really like about it. So all the jokes we've been making have been about uh, semen monsters, effectively not not monsters from the sea that are men, but monsters <laughs> made of Good male ejaculation, right? Yeah. So, yeah. but I think that actually this is a really effective visual thing because yes there is that in it and you can definitely think of that and that's kind of gross have it seeing the place covered in that stuff but also it looks like batik it looks like melted wax it also looks like milk it looks like cream it looks like white emulsion paint and at one point in the game towards the end it starts to look like flakes of snow and like like peeling wax maybe and Mm -hmm. it actually had the effect because it looks so different to all the usual stuff we see in horror games of you know halls of screaming faces and piles of blood and bits of limbs like the first evil within basically yeah it's it's so different it's such a stark contrast to all that traditional horror stuff that Mm -hmm. it really it really um actually stimulated my senses kind of thinking what is that what is it about now my 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 feeling is it's meant to be a sort of visual extension interpretation of the liquid that they lie in while they're while they go into the stem i think Mm. the idea is that they're in these sort of baths of liquid i mean that's the other thing it reminds me of is is the you know the android milk from the alien series of films Mm. it's got that kind of sense to it so yeah there's lots of things about it which you you think if yeah if even if it was dairy like all the walls being covered in bubbling dairy or yogurt would not be particularly pleasant it would be quite smelly so even if you don't think of it as (laughs) out and out jizz it's um it's still 
it's still got this kind of unsettling thing to it. So yeah, that was my favorite thing probably about the whole the whole game visually. When you return from the Marrow uh, uh, into uh, Union and you have to make your way through Father Theodore to Father uh, Father Theodore's stronghold, you see the uh, the Harbingers, the, uh, the the flamethrower enemies. Right. You see them mowing down uh, the the white goop, uh, the lost basically with uh, with uh, with their flamethrowers. And I started to think, like, Father Theodore's motive is the, the fire and the brimstone and the flame. Yeah. And Myra's uh, motif is the white liquid. So it oh, yeah. has something to do with her, you know, her be- wanting to be the core, her, her corruption of union, basically. Amniotic uh, fluid? Is there a maternal thing going on? The creation of what, life? That's with what the I semen? started to su- suspect that instead of what we were thinking about, the, the, the semen aspect, maybe it's, uh, it's, it's, it's it's a sim- it's symbolic of mother milk <laughs> or mother's know, like, milk right mother's milk yeah, yeah yeah okay i like it yeah yeah i do think i mean it is it is a tremendously evocative image and and mm. the kind of the fact that the cover of this game is is sebastian kind of drenched in it uh you know we've talked mm. about a lot the idea of having horror during the day be interesting because usually it's at night and whatever and so yeah. the idea of horror being incredibly kind of clean is also yeah. is also just interesting and it is mm. it is so weird that you know you will you will walk into places where the halls aren't like streaked with blood they're this kind of like textureless goop um and then i also i have to say the the final final boss even though you know getting to it is maybe a little questionable is mm genuinely grotesque and and mm. uses that motif in a way that like i feel like i've seen a lot of gross stuff in video games but, yeah. but that final boss is um is gross and also ooh, yeah. this is i i really want to talk about this those those enemies that um the first enemy that like one stealth hit won't kill them the kind of like yeah. slow white walking women they remind me of the witches from left for dead they are just horrifying and i i really can't even put my finger maybe it's it's kind of their how they vary between like an extremely slow and just like sprinting at you but yeah they transition like uh, from these animations very unnaturally uh, which yeah it's very i feel like it's it's hard to scare me with a just an enemy design without kind of like the the tension build up or whatever but those things really just kind of did it for me you know it's yeah. interesting uh i hadn't thought of this actually until now um but a lot of the the really powerful enemies in this game are explicitly female um Oh, and, yeah. and that that goes for those uh, kind of upgraded, because uh, I don't think that there are any of those kind of, um, you know, normal enemy pluses. Uh, I don't think that any of those are male. I think that they are all pretty mm-hmm. visually female. Plus, you have yeah. the um, the kind of amalgam enemy uh, that is, you know, made up of various limbs and whatnot oh, yeah. that is is sort of female or That's most of the heads thing. are female <laughs> and yeah. there's the you know the the kind of ghost cold woman uh that you see oh, yeah. in some of the side areas who is also female plus myra yeah. Um and you know the return of Sebastian um, is terrified of women. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's I mean, what this is. <laughs> I think you can do. Uh, we talked about a little in the last game them kind of claiming that it was Silent Hill two ish in that all of the enemies you know meant something about Sebastian's psyche. But like 
this makes much more sense. You know, I think you Mm. could much more easily do it with this game, you know, kind of claiming that each enemy you fight is is an aspect of him or representing something else. He's literally going through his own burning home. So, yeah, it's it's up there. Actually, the the, the, although uh, one of the the male enemies, the Harbinger design was, Mm -hmm. I thought was fantastic as well. The the look of the, the sort of the gas mask on the sort front of, grown, of the bandaged grown, uh, yeah yeah, yeah grown to its face yeah yeah just little which, touches like that which calls to mind um i don't remember i think it was jacob who said um that the uh that there's kind of the difference between the the like grotesque harbingers you know and like the the whiteness and the kind of cleanness of uh of myra's yeah. look but she does have that same kind of to me it kind of read like paper mache almost uh, um, the yeah, the same yeah. thing that's making up their masks is part of her kind of look costume, yes. whatever it is, as well. Yeah, yeah. There's there's particularly a, a texture mm-hmm. you can see close up on Myra that really does look like it's yeah, it's sort of dripping with like yeah, like um, batik wax or something like that. But yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, visually unusual. Audio wise, uh, so. I sometimes find this, depending on the game, is sometimes a hard section to talk about, and I feel like it's it's easy to do the 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 audio artists a disservice, especially the um, the sort of the foley to people, you know, and stuff like that. And uh, it's very because we kind of just expect, yeah, exactly, we kind of expect it to be good. Now, when we've gone back to older games in the history of this podcast, and we've talked about how even you know as recently as the PS2 era. Uh, games would often have these kind of very obviously um, kind of sampled clunky footsteps in games that actually now you go back and it's like, oh, wow, yeah, that doesn't even sound like actually somebody walking around. A lot of this stuff now we kind of take for granted and it's very subtle. There's a lot of subtle environmental stuff here. So I guess we, you know, there's that much sound in, in a modern game of this nature from 2017 that you just kind of have to try to sum up your whole feeling of the yeah the the soundscape in in total and um my feeling was there was there weren't too many uh unlike that visual motif that we we're just talking about there wasn't very much that was particularly new or different or outstanding here but what there was was pretty effective there is one thing that I wanted to bring up and this I I expect is something that only Leon and I will have uh, possibly uh, experience because we played oh. it on console. Did oh, yeah. you get the thing where the the lady was singing through your controller? Because I didn't know that was going to happen, and it freaked me oh, out. I mostly played this with headphones on. Oh yeah, so, so but I, so when, I do like when the, use of the speaker. Yeah, yeah, when the lady, when the uh, kind of ghost lady. Yeah, yeah. When you are near her, lady. she will mm. she will sing through your controller. Oh, the, and, yeah, right. Yeah, the, and the humming stealth kill yes, lady. Uh, mm. I did not like that. I well, I mean, I I liked it. It was effective, but it. it it, it yeah. actually genuinely did unnerve love, me. Yeah. So, yeah, it's such a weird little, such a such a little trick in a way. And there's only been what the two two con- controllers with speakers in up to this point: the Wii and the PS4. Um, the, those are the, the you know the successful you know widespread ones anyway. But when they use that well, it's such a cool thing. I know I should have hooked up a PS4 controller to my <laughs> PC. <laughs> Now, I, what uh, sound design wise, I, I loved uh, the various sounds that the different enemies were making. Okay. I also found, for example, the the zombie uh, enemy in this game, the the regular mm. 
what they called the lost as, as opposed to the haunted in the previous game i found them very raving and insane sounding um you know when they chase you but the 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 haunted in the first game they sound wise they didn't really put the fear in me but these guys definitely did with their screams and their pain and then there's this enemy that gives off a green gas the the lament it's called mm-hmm. i believe oh, yeah. and it's it's constantly sounds like it's in utter agony mm. uh moving through the through the world and it's disturbing like nothing else in the game almost i remember some pretty uh strong pieces of music towards the end i, I remember i say i remember them as in i don't actually i couldn't hum them for you now but i remember some some really uh some quite lovely pieces once once you were moving towards the 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 kind of d- the denouement in the yeah the snowy area sad sad yeah i I absolutely agree and it did that thing that i love where um normally uh in the game where it would have like paused or switched the music it didn't it just kind of kept playing that that kind of sad string piece and yeah it made it it was when you go back into his office uh Mm -hmm. where you know you would normally have that kind of safe room music yeah uh, yeah, I think I think most of my emotional connection to the ending actually came from that piece. <laughs> the heavy lifting, yeah. indeed. Yes, yeah. Well, let's talk gameplay then. So, I think there are some. Although it's still a third-person action game, over the shoulder, reminiscent of its predecessor and other games within the subgenre. I suppose even things like uh, Resident Evil Six. You want to be mean about it, but uh, it's it's got the you know it's got the basic uh, the ability to move around and quick turn, and you've got a bunch of weapons and etc. You've got an inventory you can level up. Probably less of a was there less of an emphasis on traps in this game? I felt like I spent yeah. more of the Evil Within one dismantling traps and and that sort of thing. Perhaps yeah, this was so. more yeah. about the sneaking about and the, the the taking things down from with stealth kills and stuff. Yeah, like I that. think because it's mm-hmm. so much more open. Like the the first one did traps because you were basically just walking down linear pathways, but there True. were several situations in this where you could kind of, you know, come at it from a variety of angles. You can sort of set up your own traps with some of the crossbow bolts being proximity detonated, which can be a lot of fun. And yeah, I suppose if if I was going to sum up my favourite moments of this game, they would probably be the creative combat sections in the more open world areas where you end up, you can end up with some sort of quite fun emergent moments where you run from one pack of zombies, for want of a better word, into another and you can come up with some quite creative ways to utilize the environment, escape, hide, use different weapons to take things down and, you know, kind of have that really uh, captivating moment to moment. See, that's yeah. that's interesting. And maybe this is a function of the difficulty that I played on. Uh, but I actually, while I liked the gameplay and I found it effective, I found myself using fewer, like in, in the first game, I relied on my crossbow bolts considerably more than I did in in this game. Mm. I went through most of it with the pistol and the shotgun, and that was kind of it. Like, some... Some of the sniper rifle, but I rarely used the uh, the the crossbow, which was something that I uh, 
it surprised me a little bit because I was really excited to get it and then just kind of sat there for most of the game. Yeah, I think it's interesting in this game that uh, given that it's open world, I did not expect that scarcity would feel even more like omnipresent than in the first game. But I felt at least in the in the beginning couple chapters, I felt like I was running on empty like all the yeah. time um, and and playing on um, whatever the hard one was. That was like if you like the evil within play this one, um, you know, th- like the, I was playing on that the whole time. And just the feeling of like if I saw two enemies next to each other, <laughs> that was too many. And I like could not take them down. And I, I feel like in our kind of like modern combat horror landscape you know it's like resident evil 4 5 even the evil within you know one you would see groups of people and just know like okay well i'll be able to like wriggle my way out of this one and and so the combination of how much damage they did and how quickly they could alert other enemies in the surrounding area made made those first encounters really really tense and and having me you know counting every single handgun bullet and every single crossbow shot and everything. The most yeah. fun I had, I think, was actually early on exploring Union, mostly crawling around on my knees. Yeah. Uh, kind <laughs> Lots of, of crawling around sneaking, sneaking from one place to another and, and picking things off and worrying hugely about the resources I had. But as well as the, the game being much more open form in that sense, there were a couple of points where although that was the, the the best of the game for me, it was also it showed some of its shortcomings. For instance, there's a sequence where you, uh, to follow Lily around into that, I think maybe we're talking about the same place, you have to uh, pull a switch and then shoot an electric uh, crossbow bolt into a panel and then you go into mm-hmm. the warehouse and explore. Because I went there early, which is great, and the fact that you could do effectively side quests out of sequence here, like an RPG, yeah. I did a lot of the stuff, I burnt the the zombies that were in front of the switch and then I went in through and through the switch and did the thing and then when I went into the warehouse because I hadn't triggered that part of that side quest yet you come up to a a simple like a thin wooden panel and he just won't have anything to do with it yeah I won't shoot it he won't break it yeah so that that was kind of like yeah I'm going to come back there's a there's literally there's a light shining on it so you know that that's the critical path mm-hmm. for this section of the game and then you're just like why can't i go through there and then i twigged of course i have played video games before this <laughs> there's something that's got to happen here and actually you're, it's the... you're holding an axe buddy you, you can just, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. just swing and that axe you, you have to wait until you've seen a little girl go through in a cutscene <laughs> before yeah. you can smash it with your with your axe or whatever um yeah so slight shortcomings um yeah video games yeah so I really love the whole setup of this uh of this game. This uh, and and Jacob called it an open world, Deadpool Negative called it an open world. But I think that's uh in on if you, depending on even on both sides that you look at it, it's doing it a bit of a disservice because mm-hmm. if you say open world, open world fans will start expect a lot more than what you get yeah, in this game. It's quite contained really. Yeah. And you will also turn off people that aren't exactly a fan of uh open worlds sandbox i would say freeform do you know what it reminded me of that level that i said i really love from the first game yeah i think that's what it is i think yeah. that's that's a very strong point of the first game and i wanted to expand on that mm. uh in this sequel so what you get basically and again this shows so much design brilliance because of the nature of union and its fractured nature 
they basically cut the city into pieces, right? Mm -hmm. So instead of one open world, you have all these sort of, yeah, hub areas that are sort of smaller, uh, yeah, smaller and more more contained, but still open spaces. And so combat-wise, you get so many ways to approach a different situation. But then it also really gives you yeah it promotes a sense of in, uh of exploration which also again makes the game more tense and scary because yeah. you know that bad things will probably happen to you if you wander off off the the quest markers path you know like you 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 know you'll run into trouble uh and because early on the game you don't know quite you don't quite know what to expect of this game what it's going to throw at you mm. you've you've i felt really on edge all the time like i don't know what was going to happen if i would uh, wander into some random house yeah and yeah all of a sudden i was haunted by yeah this exactly ghost, we, know, this, that's, that's a great point i, I reckon it the, the way they set this particular side quest up is and i'm not sure i actually resolved it in the end i think i ended up moving on to the next part i, of the I resolved it okay. it ends with uh with you putting a bullet through sebastian from the evil in uh one's head oh okay basically basically kill that part of him that's still in the old stem mm-hmm. i see so it, yeah so it, it kind of funnels you there subtly but you don't have to pick not really it's if you just follow of, the if you just follow yeah. the story markers yeah. you'll completely miss uh True. miss this whole thing pick up a yeah. thing on the table and then you start yeah. being haunted and then that actually comes that, into play on the the quotes open world or the the sandbox exactly. areas and another thing that spooked me about the open world is I actually felt more. I feel more safe, I guess, in more confined, uh, claustrophobic spaces where I have walls to yeah, protect always, me and yeah. everything. But in the in the open, I never knew what was going to run up right. from behind uh, on mm. me. So I was constantly jittery and running from hiding place to hiding place. And mm. yeah, a lot of crouch walking, like you said, you know. Yeah, I think mm. I yeah. think a lot of the the kind of like design smarts that they did with this, like the level of open world that they did, was that. Every encounter was basically still handmade, you know, that like you would run into one off things that you had never seen before and you would never see again, you know, that that they just had this very specific setup and it was small enough Mm. that they could do that a lot and not have it feel, you know, it's like the world wasn't 20 miles wide and so they weren't repeating stuff all over the place. Um, And so, you know, each each interaction still felt very handcrafted and it wasn't like I ever kind of got to the point where I knew exactly how to handle each thing because there would always be at least one wrench that they threw in there that was like, you haven't done this before. You know, you haven't encountered this combination of enemies or or it hasn't been in this type of location or anything like that. Hmm. I think somebody mentioned previously in one of the correspondence pieces that there really aren't that many side quests, um, and and that's true, there aren't. But I I I think that squares up with what uh, with what Jacob was saying because like they are crafted side quests. They're not like just go kill five zombies and mm. bring me their yeah. goo or Skins. whatever. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know, but like it, they have meaningful stories, yeah. impacts. Yeah on on the actual storyline and you right. could miss them yeah. but i i mean they are they're important like i don't y- you exactly. didn't have to do the thing where you get one of the the um stem members out or maybe get him out of oh the, yeah that's a of, weird one the whole thing yeah but i mean you could just not do that but it would have changed things you know it it he he 
I, I found that to be more effective than if there had been a bunch of side missions that were less uh, less crafted, I suppose. Yeah. And Sebastian pursuing these side missions doesn't take anything away from the urgency of his quest, basically. Because you could see why he would yeah. want to help this guy. Yeah, because true. He, he was thinking, mm-hmm. oh, maybe this, this part is also useful for me and Lily. Until you find out that on, that the that whole experiment has a 25% success <laughs> right. rate. Uh-huh. And this guy might be doomed to wander some sort of uh, subsystem limbo section of STEM for the rest of his uh, existence. Yeah, I do think it's worth noting, you know, in both both in kind of like time we've talked about and probably time spent in the game, you know, it feels like these open worlds really, they definitely dominate my memory of it. Mm. But, mm. Uh, you know, it's like the first, the first kind of big area and then there's kind of just one other one i can think of that's that's truly open and and they are so effective and so well done and you can spend basically as long as you want you know finding stuff around them but there is a lot of this game that is more traditional you know evil within one and other horror games like pretty much linear straightforward uh gameplay and Especially and I think end, yeah. yeah I think uh, from a lot of the the negative reception that I've heard of this is people saying hey I really liked the open world part I wish that it kept doing that but instead mm. it kind mm. of went a more traditional path despite some of the you know, the set pieces and the yeah like as Jacob mentioned earlier some of the most impressive and authored visual flourishes coming from the linear sections my overriding memories partly because of the time spent in them but also partly because yeah i found it the most compelling just that stuff of and i know it's you know it's something that so many games do now looting and and rpg elements and and uh, you know mm. a, a a screen that you go into to show your character's progression through various things you in this game we haven't even mentioned it yet but you you go and uh you go through mirrors and sit in your chair just like you did in the in the first game only this time it's it feels slightly safer in there because it's decked out like uh, your detective's office rather than this spooky, creepy asylum. Um, <laughs> but you still put yourself in a chair and stab yourself with stuff to uh, to to level yourself up. Um, mm. And it's the yeah, it's the the balance of the risk and the reward going looking for just, you know, trinkets, bags full of yeah crap nuts and that's bolts so strong put, yeah it, it, it it's so it's why it's, it's in every balance. game now because it's really like it yeah. makes you want to keep creeping around yeah but in this game it's so the, the 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 risk reward is so strong because you know you're you're probably going to it's going to cost you uh resources to one every fight bat. is a balance isn't it it's but but then again it might it might get you something really good as well you yeah. know and it, in a way, it reminds me very much of uh, Resident Evil 3, which I'm replaying currently yeah. on our Twitch account. Yeah. Uh, I was in, thinking that while you were playing it. I was watching your stream and thinking, this is not so different. Yeah, exactly. It's like this thing like, oh, should I stay and fight Nemesis? Because mm. he might drop something. But then again, I'm pumping, going to pump a lot of ammo into, uh, into him as well. And in an, the, the other way, the open world areas are very much more old school Resident Evil than everything post Resident Evil 4 in that you feel like you're conquering these more interlinked places you know they, you start out as a scaredy cat and feeling very much uh, at ease but slowly by sh- slowly but surely you're you're killing enemies you're wiping them out you start walking the streets or the, the areas more more confidently 
and yeah, feeling more like a badass as you upgrade your character and your your weapons. And then something happens in the story that throws everything on its head again, and you face you know the the, the areas get repopulated with a different with different kinds of enemies. So it it in so many ways it really reminded me more of the old school Resident mm. Evil games in that sense. That sort of same same feeling of conquering a very hostile, environment. scary environment. Yeah. yeah, I think that that said, I think it's we should acknowledge actually just how much difference you can make to your moment to moment by exploring different paths with the green gel of the mm-hmm. of the upgrades. Because famously, the kind of uh, the way to play Resident Evil Four and Five. Uh, is the kind of bullet to the head, stagger the enemy, and then go up and melee them. Now, by default in this game, you really can't do that because your melee yeah. is, at the start of the game, absolutely puny. You have very little stamina. It tires you out to run about. Um, yeah, none, combat none, has a very different focus. Yes, none of that was true in, in Resident Evil 4. But as you upgrade yourself, especially if you do focus on or, or put a decent amount of green goo into your melee abilities you can actually get to a point where you kind of start staggering and body slamming and smushing enemies as you go and it saves a lot of not only does it save a lot of uh, resources and keeps you uh keeps you in bullets it's uh it's very it's you know it's very visceral and tactile and 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 yeah. smushy talking about moves and difficulty and accessibility hms polio from the forum pointed out and i didn't even clock this either in the options the inclusion of super strength invincibility and infinite ammo is in the options menu from the start this felt delightfully inclusive and at the risk of sounding hyperbolic brave in comparison to most modern games they're not unlockable they're not paid dlc wonderful mm-hmm. so fair I play that either no i mean but you know I don't want to get into that whole big difficult side conversation about accessibility versus difficulty and authorial intent and stuff like that. But here it is. It's in the game here. And I think this is yeah. a good example of where... It's great for people that just want to take in exactly. the sights and sounds. I played know? it on yeah. survival all the way through. Had a good time. It was just about right for me. Uh, but if I wanted to just blast through it and do everything, if I, I might have ruined it for myself on some level, but the choice was there. So yeah. it can be done, and people didn't kick up a stink that it was in there, as far as I can recall. But then maybe that was because no one played this. <laughs> <laughs> my my, uh, I, I put in a lot more time. I my ga- in-game clock was a lot longer than Leah's. I put, uh, I finished the game at about twenty-two and a half hours. Yeah, I think mine was. More that's like not that. that's not indicative of how uh, yeah, how difficult I found the game and how many times I died. But it's indicative of how much I enjoyed just scouring the environment yeah. uh, and doing all the side quests and finding all the stuff. I have I haven't even found all the stuff, but uh, yeah, quite quite a lot of it. Uh, yeah, yeah, just taking my time with this game uh, was very rewarding. I thought it was really telling that as soon as I finished, I wanted to play the start again on New Game Plus, and mm-hmm. I play. I ended up playing almost four hours in until three a.m. of New Game Plus just because. <laughs> Going back into that first area, once you got past the kind of the opening, I was back in the sandbox, but massively powered up. And it yeah. was just really satisfying to just be able to run about and smush everything. Uh, Did you also get the bullet cascade? Uh, oh, yeah, that's a good one. Is that that's the really good. Uh, multiplier power thing? Yeah, yes. basically, yeah. 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 You, it's, you start chaining uh, shots of your weapons together and multiplying their impact. Yeah. And it just makes short, it makes short work of enemies fast. It yeah. is absolutely a game that if I didn't have a backlog of 
you know, 20,000 hours worth of games that I would happily continue through that NG plus and, you know, max everything out and, and finish everything off. Uh, yeah. Nick's Blaster is back from the forum and says the gameplay for The Evil Within 2 is where I feel the most conflicted. I think in some ways the gameplay feels more fluid than the first game, but at the same time, I couldn't help but feel like the shooting in this game wasn't nearly as responsive as it was in its predecessor. The gunplay lacked a sense of weight, that oomph factor you felt in the first game when you were shooting bits of cranium from an enemy's head. Many of the weapon types from the first game returned here, but I felt there was a missed opportunity when it came to discovering some of the new weapons that were littered around Union and the Marrow. These new weapons turned out to be just variants of the weapons you already had in your inventory, and I found myself just sticking to the original variants and forgetting that the silence pistol or the long-barreled shotgun even existed. I also think the gameplay suffers from a very lacklustre range of enemy types to fight compared to the first game. None of the new enemies are fun to fight, nor are they intimidating or scary, really. When I found myself becoming both bored and frustrated, I ended up changing the difficulty to casual at around chapter 8, just so that I could get through things faster. Maybe I think Nick's Blaster did themselves a disservice by doing that, but I did the same thing in the first game, so I could be a hypocrite. Shout out to, I think, and again, maybe this is something that, maybe this gets switched off on the, I assume there are, not only one above survival, but maybe there's some unlockables. I know the first game had some scarily named difficulty challenges with limit, you know, huge limitations. Maybe this get, maybe this is a mechanic that isn't there on those difficulties. But the refillable coffee machines. Oh, I loved it. Yeah, it was so cool. I feel I feel very seen <laughs> by the fact that coffee restores your health. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's Such so it's a, so great the, because the implementation is so good. I think. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's just great because. You know, this guy is pulling all-nighters to save his daughter. And, um, you know, a, a lot of video game characters throughout the stories in their games pull all-nighters. But, yeah, he's just, yeah, let's chuck some coffee and I'm good to go again. I couldn't yeah, actually great. see through the smoke and mirrors of the refill on it. Was it purely a time thing or is it based on... I think so. Yeah, I think you could just stand there. 20 minutes, I think. Okay. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, given how scarce health items are in this game mm. and, and how much damage enemies do, I really, I, like, I use them a lot, you know? Like, it would yeah. be a thing I where missed them I in would... the last section of the game, yeah, the last gotcha. couple yeah. of chapters. Mm -hmm. were no, where's where's we're, my coffee? We're no, yeah, there are no safe houses ah, and coffee I got that achievement anymore. or trophy or whatever it was. <laughs> oh, yes. I just see a coffee yeah. machine and I just head straight for it. Yeah, and the, and the foley on that was great as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> didn't like those mugs though those mugs looked like they had seen some some, mm. some better days like maybe somebody should wash those that was the worst thing yeah. about being in union with the, with the state of the mugs <laughs> they weren't even hey, covered listen, in they weren't even covered in white goo Ugh. it's yeah. just cream that's what it is it's coffee creamer <laughs> creamer <laughs> yep there you go um, the creamer it. within <laughs> the marrow uh it, it, there's these little sections which are kind of a a sub virtual world within a virtual yeah. world like, i started seeing them like like dungeons as opposed to yeah uh, the overworld of uh of union so yeah, these were kind of, kind of self-contained and they were often loops like i'm gonna say it like dark souls loops <laughs> in terms of <laughs> in terms of rather than being a linear progression they were often a kind of wrap around and get back to the place you were first before you can leave or at least a couple of them felt like that well i think they are all interconnected aren't they in some okay aspect. Yeah. right 
It's it's what the marrow is one big area, yeah. But a some parts are behind the scenes. It's mm. supposed to be kind of the yeah. behind the scenes uh, yeah. tunnels that are connecting yeah. a bunch of things. And you can you can I did at least uh, you can find that earlier than they actually tell you to go to it. I yes. don't know how far you could get because I got in there, opened up the map, went, oh god, Same. I don't think I'm supposed to be here, and turned right around to <laughs> <and> left. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned also the uh, first person section in uh, mm-hmm. one of the earlier parts where you have is to traverse the marrow, the marrow is, to, to yeah. city city hall. Yeah, uh, that was freaking scary with that lament in there because I didn't know you could actually stealth kill that thing either. Oh so, well, you I mean uh, you can good. like you you can do one one like hit of it, but it won't die after that. So yeah, in that section, you need to do it two, twice basically. Yeah, in that oh. section, it seems. But almost I thought impossible. that thing looks toxic, yeah. toxic and poisonous as hell. So yeah. I'm not getting near it so yeah a lot of uh horrifying screams and uh and everything as i try to get past it nick's blaster again says i feel like the setting for the evil within 2 the city of union also falls short to the hot pot of locations that the first evil within ended up thrusting the player into i think having an open world or semi-open world would be fun and engaging if done right but here i felt like it was neither and served only to slow the pace of the game down the other area of the game, the marrow, feels even more bland and sterile as Sebastian works his way through corridors of white walls and dimly lit tunnels closed off by giant blast doors. I think the overall setting, I think overall the setting was perhaps my biggest gripe with the game. It felt quite soulless to me and wasn't fun or exciting to traverse at all. I did end up doing a few of the side missions to see where they went, but in the end I feel the game does a poor job motivating you to go out and explore Union. I, I agree in terms of the marrow. Like, the marrow was not a mm-hmm. place that I was ever excited to go. Um, I, it felt functional, and that's it. But I think I liked, and I think most of us did like Union quite a bit. Yeah. That, granted, from an art design perspective, the uh, the entry into the marrow was visually more interesting than the marrow itself. You know, where yeah. you walk across this sort of liquid again with the shadowy figures and trees and everything. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, boss fights we've already sort of passed across them Uh, this is one of those games that uh, presents some of its bigger badders as boss fights and then throws them in back into the the kind of the open world sections for you to just deal with as and when did anyone i'm curious did anyone retake down these boss creatures when they appeared in the levels after the original meetings of them because i tended to just avoid them yeah i, I did. took down one more uh one more uh what what's the name the guardian with the multi-headed lady were with the rewards the worth it uh a lot of green goo the reward right. for I me think. was not having to look over my shoulder for her you know <laughs> that's kind <laughs> that of was what it. I did. that was it i got tired yeah. of her coming after me i was like um, i just yeah. don't i i can't do this well, there's a, there was a there was more than one as well, right? There was yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, I I took one out and I thought, okay, we I don't have to deal with this again. But then there was another pile of bodies that started stocking up all of a sudden out of nowhere. Oh yeah. And I had another one, but she was sort of in a back alley, and I didn't re- and she didn't didn't really start roaming around very much. So I that that second one I left be. Oh. Um, but I also took down two harbingers to get uh, their their field th- th- tanks because I thought oh. I was suspecting I would get those of of them to complete the the flamethrower. Uh, but they soaked up still a lot of ammo. And, right. Uh, I think w- the 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 first one I took down, I used about my whole arsenal and all kinds of bolts on it. When I finally took it down, then the second one I defeated by sneaking up to it, performing a stealth kill, 
running away, hiding, waiting for it to sort of lose track of me again and repeat the same process like three times over. Just like it took like four or five stealth kills before I took it down. Yeah, I do. Um, here, so I want to I want to say two things. One, those Harbin- Harbingers were the only like the stealth I felt like worked pretty well for most of the game. Those things just I I had so many things where they just like turned around without any warning, just kind of like seemingly in the middle of walking in a straight line and and really didn't mm. seem to follow any of the rules. And so I found fighting them quite frustrating. Um, but and their flamethrowers have gigantic. Oh, no, yeah. Well. No. And if they turned around, you were just kind of done. Um, yeah. But but actually, one of my one of the biggest scares in the game, I think, was um she wasn't a boss fight yet but in the very first level when you're in the kind of like house of mirrors and and you like you open a door and and you get a picture taken of you and then you find that picture on a mirror and and you like look at the picture and then you look back at the mirror and i expected there to be a scare but i expected it to be like ooh, a spooky version of sebastian and instead it was like that giant screaming mannequin lady or whatever and it was yeah just like another example (laughs) of like the art direction being scary enough that like honestly they didn't even have to do much more than like present it and i was just like oh okay (laughs) i'll run like multiple multiple insane blood-soaked grins looking at yeah yeah it was a really really frightening moment I must be easier to jump scare because the the photo itself was what got me. I was not expecting him to be there, and and I mean it only worked the first time. They tried to pull it off a couple of times, but I the first time it did get me. I will I will admit. Um, I really liked the um the the kind of big camera boss, not not the camera, of, not the one in the sky. That one I thought was a little, mm. eh, but like the one that had kind of the old style like yeah. accordion neck that that would kind Obscura, of stalk you yeah. around. Um, yeah. And then it lo- it would like stop time, and you had to to mm. start it again. I yeah. thought that was just like it w- it was fun, and and shooting it made kind of like a light bulb, like a flash bulb sound, which was fun. Um, so I like yeah. that one. Again, the sound des- the sound design of this enemy was very disturbing, and also its movement, just like how quickly it moves from one place to to the next one. Mm-hmm. It is not exactly the same, but there are some very similar enemies in the DLC from the first game. So, uh, it, which yeah. actually plays a lot more like the second game than it does like the first game. So, uh, halfway house, and that it's, makes it's, sense with the yeah. I mean, it might might be something that uh, that you all enjoy if uh, if you like the gameplay a little mm. bit better. Yeah, what I will say about the bosses is they all. And, and this isn't necessarily a bad thing to me because I hate getting stuck on boss fights, but they all had some fairly obvious limitations in terms of being yeah. able to damage you. Like even the, once you worked them out, like even Stefano, there's a place that you can stand where you can't take any damage from anything basically. Uh, and all you have to do is kind of shoot him as he rushes you if you've got enough ammo. But then, of course, really? yeah, yeah. Yep, uh, that's just that. that was that was the hardest boss fight for me. Yeah, I thought so too. it took it took a couple of little while to work it out. But there there is a place you can stand. And similarly with O'Neill, the lost O'Neill, when he turns into the flamethrower guy, you can basically just keep running in circles around the level, and he'll never hurt you. Uh, you just yeah. have to, whenever he shows his face, you just have to pick him off with a bullet. Um, and as I say, I don't actually mind that they're quite easy to do that to because it means you don't get stymied. But uh, I imagine for those players who are the kind of people who love to kind of, you know, like really nail a Sekiro boss or something like that, 
um, and learn everything about its attacks and how to defend them, this would seem a little bit weak source. Yeah. I think that con the, the, the difficulty of the first uh, game for me was uh, concentrated a lot into, into the boss fights. Uh, that wasn't here in this game, so that also made me, made me feel more... Um, yeah, like made me uh, experience the difficulty as lower in, uh, in the, the Evil Within 2. There are hidden keys in little statues again, and uh, I should clear up for those who don't either listen to our monthly show or haven't been following us more closely. But I said uh, erroneously, I thought I'd cleared it, I'd opened every safe in the Evil Within one, but it turns out I'd only opened one row of three of all the safes, <laughs> uh, which it didn't seem very likely that I'd found all the keys in the game, and I hadn't. This time, I certainly didn't find anywhere near all the keys. I only found game. like no. two. Uh, I found like a, a top maybe the top row almost i think there's yeah. 24 safes maybe or something oh i didn't like i didn't go in order i was just like randomly like oh, that oh one. I, yeah. I can't help myself yeah yeah i found something like eight or something yeah uh, to people i i do want to say <laughs> this was not a i mean it ultimately wasn't a big deal but i had one completely game-breaking bug where um in that oh. safe room it just didn't give me the key it was like i was looking at the the wall of safes and it just didn't let me like go back. The kind of press queue to return just wasn't there. And I and I looked it up, and other people had experienced that. So there is a very slim probability that that you can just get stuck there. Um, mm. And so I just made sure to save immediately before saves, going in there. Yeah. If a game gives you the chance to have rolling saves, use rolling saves. If if that's if life taught me one thing. Yeah, I had, um, for the most part, performance was perfectly fine uh, with my game, but I did have one hard crash. Uh, I Ooh. don't remember exactly where it was, but it oh, was early on in the game. But I mean, it's it's rare that I have a game do that. Like, I've had a couple soft lock. I had a soft lock in Evil Within 1, where I think I posted maybe to the Slack a picture of Sebastian just endlessly oh, yeah. climbing down a ladder. Um right. but yeah. but this was this was not even that. This was hard crash to desktop. Do you Ooh. want to send your data to a Sony? Sony. So, right. Uh, yeah. That's that's pretty rare on a uh, on a it is. on a released and yes. patched console game. Just but that I, one time, but uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it didn't happen to me. And again, of course, with the game not having done very well, I doubt they continued to service it for very long. Mm. Uh, after the fact i did want to mention the shooting gallery so this is kind of an homage i guess to the silliness of the those sections in resident evil 4 where you you're in the middle of a scary castle and the merchant is set up somewhere where you can go and blast away at targets uh in this case the nurse has got a side room off of your office within the stem and you can go in there and attempt some shooting gallery games, one of which is the fairly standard shoot the targets and get a score in a kind of realistic fashion. Uh, and I, I did as good, got as far as I could on that. And obviously, as you level up your things like your aim and your ability to shoot faster, you can get better scores and unlock better prizes. And the prizes actually feed back into your level, um, your your power ups and your gear and stuff. So it's it's worth doing. 
the I think I also might have done better in the shooting gallery if I would have switched to mouse and keyboard. Oh yeah, okay. no, it was I. I yeah. got I was, first I was place using every a white time. 360 controller. Oh, okay. right, yeah, I was using a white 360 controller on the on the PC. Yeah, mouse would help. Actually. Yeah, it's just like the yeah the dead zone of the of the mm. uh, of the analog stick was not ideal. But what yeah. I did do was I played tons of the kind of the match puzzle shooting game. I played this a lot. Uh, the 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 B game effectively, which is yeah. uh, a board full of coloured panels, and as you clear out, say blue panels, more red panels drop in, and then eventually they start shaking, and it's got this whole kind of delicious uh, combo chain reaction, chain reaction, endorphin. Does this does this mini game give you anything? Yeah, because it doesn't oh, yeah. show any rewards. Oh, it does. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you have to do. I mean, it's like you you can't fake your way through it. You actually have to like know what you're doing to get the high scores. But I found it uh, mm. pretty like medium addicting. You know, I, yeah. I played I played a good amount <laughs> a bit of it. More than that for me. Yeah, yeah. I kept coming back <laughs> to it, and uh, and it, I never maxed out my score. But I reckon on that new game plus, I could go back with my with all my abilities and, and perhaps go for the highest prizes. Anyway, yeah, a nice little diversion. In fact, HMS Polio wanted to comment on that. The silliness of Sebastian's reactions at the end of the minigames made me want much more of that from an otherwise fairly stock character. Disappointed. Really playful and fun. Yeah, he had he had some. There was one that I liked where he was like, "Oh yeah," and he kind of like, <laughs> yeah, it was it was yeah. a good weird section of the game. Yeah, yeah, there's there's some hidden humor in this otherwise pretty bleak and harrowing game, which is yeah, which is traditional for particularly for Japanese survival horror. Yeah, it's, uh, comes comes with the territory. Uh. Did anyone do much reading? There's a reasonable amount of documents and things to find. Perhaps less of an emphasis in this one than in the first game, where there were a lot of newspapers and posters and flyers and journals and things like that. There was. I found almost all of the documents. I found almost all of the residual memories that you find with your location. I found almost all of the slides, but I oh, didn't slides, find yeah, anything completely. Oh, did you did you not find all of no, them? I didn't because either, I'm not sure if the slides go. I found all of them, I and I don't one. know if they I missed one. go in oh, order. No. Um, did you get the last one? Well, because the last one I found was actually that was the one where they talk about Joseph. Yeah, I think the last one you only get when you found all the other ones. So I missed one of the slides. That's why I couldn't get the last one either. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, the last. So the last one, all of the rest of them, I thought were like fine you know they were they were interesting enough but the last one is the only time within the game that they mentioned hmm. joseph from the evil within one yeah and and it was actually like a pretty interesting conversation and so i was glad that i listened okay. to all of them joseph is the guy outside of presumably something like a trophy or an achievement is there any tangible reward to collecting all of anything because yeah like you Mikio, i didn't collect all of any of the subsets of collectibles well, the cat does give you. Well, you get yeah, some green. The cat oh, gives cat you gives green you yeah. every time you. Uh, There's a cat. We didn't mention the slide. Cat. Yeah, the cat. I, I red-eyed cat. I was, you can't pet the cat, and I was disappointed. You cannot pet the cat in the Evil Within Two. Somebody. However, uh, I and I mentioned this. Uh, I, I think I mentioned this possibly on Slack, but um, yeah, the the cat is how you save in the DLC uh, for the Evil Within One. Uh, mm, you sit mm. on a couch, and the cat sits on your lap, and you pet the cat. So. You can in the DLC, yeah. you cannot in the Evil Within 2. Same cat, from what I can tell. Do you 
Am I right in thinking, oh, no, it's the toilet. I was thinking No More Heroes you save by talking to a cat, but you do something else by talking to a cat in No More Heroes. Yeah, I think the cat is uh, is sort of a, it's linked to Julie Kidman. So that's Mm. also sort of indicates her presence in the table. Kitty cat. Yeah. Clever. Uh, And yeah, there's only one ending, right? There's no, there's no way of getting different endings based on story choices or side quests you have or haven't yeah. done right it's the, the story concludes the same mm-hmm. way no matter what uh, were were you folks satisfied with the conclusion jacob you said that you were maybe it was the music and and whatever else but you were and and the grossness of that final boss but um were you satisfied with the actual post you know the credits and post credits yeah i you know this this game it has the ending is much longer than you think it's going to be, or at least than I thought it was going to be, because you you then you kind of play like a Kidman shooting gallery yeah, with crisis. people, which actually that was that was kind of a janky part. Oh, but, the actual um, real world but, bit. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. So it's like you're you're hopping back and forth, and they have this really, I mean, like the the cinematic language in this game. Like I've already said, it's really good, but you have these things where like characters are going through doors and then you'll switch from like sebastian yeah. to kidman so and great. back and like that fresh, was yeah. that was really um really fascinating and and just the kind of like you know i didn't think i would care about myra until the end and then i ended up caring about myra and i can't really tell you <laughs> why like what That's the neat. game did but like <laughs> Yeah, just just like that final thing where she stays and you are carrying your daughter and you're like running towards the exit and everything is just like crashing down on you. Um, and then and then seeing Kidman in the real world, basically like ready to die to, you know, like get them out. It was it was really good. Mm-hmm. And, and it felt, you know, it was like it was campy, but it took itself, you know, it felt sincere in a way that I just like appreciated and i could picture a more cynical game kind of like undercutting yeah. it somehow but um but it just it worked for me yeah it's a it's a surprisingly upbeat ending as well in the end yeah uh, mm-hmm. you, you don't expect games of this bleakness or stories of this kind of bleakness to end you know they usually end with a even larger gut punch uh, so it was kind of heartwarming and uh it's just just the general pathos of uh, this guy trying to get his daughter, you know, that he hasn't seen in years, that he thought was dead, get her out of this, uh, basically this uh, manifestation of hell. Yeah, I mean, it uh, didn't leave me emotionally cold or in the, in the slightest. I wonder why they didn't go for the quite traditional multiple endings of other Japanese, in particular, survival horror games simply that they just wanted to tell the whole story to everybody. They didn't want to have a, well, there's one ending that's canon and then there's a dark one yeah, and then there's maybe. a silly one. Or, But it, there seemed to be plenty of opportunities within the game to have choices Multiple that could affect... Multiple yeah, decisions, right? yeah, yeah. Well, correct me if I'm wrong here, but um, the first game did not have multiple endings, did it? No, 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 no. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is. It's always been a series that's taken the story weirdly seriously, you <laughs> know, for for everything else. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, and most times I feel like that's a misstep. Yeah. But then at the very ending of this, and also the other thing that I'll say is, since this is probably the mm. last one of these games we're yeah. going to get, 
you know, I was really happy that it ended as conclusively as it did, you know, even though they they completely dropped the Ruvik thing from the evil within one. That was clearly a game that wanted a sequel. And this one, I feel pretty satisfied, you know, with this being the end of the story. I agree. Mm, Yeah, it's hard to. Yeah. Unless they end up making somehow making a lot of money on the tail end of this in digital sales and whatever, it's hard to imagine them revisiting. But I actually I liked both these games enough to probably be into a third game that tackled what happened with Ruvik. You know, I mean, but, I would play yeah. another game, but sure. I I don't think that it suffers. It's not a cliffhanger. You know, they didn't they didn't leave any intentional loose ends like they kind of did. There the is a game. slight yeah. little bit bits, just one one tiny thread they left with. The what looks like the old stem system sort of rebooting oh, yeah, in, uh, in the yeah. very end. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there, there is that possibility. The Ruvik you know? thread. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Some treats and Easter eggs squirreled away in the game. Thanks to Mikhail for finding this video late in the, the day before we record. But <laughs> the first, like the half, of this like a twelve-minute video of secrets and Easter eggs from the Evil Within Two. The first half of the video is the guy triggering this one. <laughs> really bizarre secret so there are some zombie enemies hidden under cars in the union sections which you know they sprung out on me a few times and made me jump and you know had the desired effect turns out if you get these dudes from out from under their cars uh i think it says two males and a female yeah, but it's probably random because those, random. Uh, zombies are always random. Oh, yeah. okay. I didn't even know that. Uh, then you get them to spawn and then you make sure that they don't see you anymore. Hide, make sure that yeah they're not actually tailing you. Each of them wanders off to this one particular place and starts hammering at this building. And then immediately that they're there, a giant... Crow. No, you need you need to kill them with, oh, with sorry. stealth kills yeah, first. Quite yeah. right. You need to stealth kill each of them for some reason, uh, and that makes um, there's crows. There's there's models in the environment, so this is obviously one of those just made big. It's it's a massive like you know three humans tall crow, and uh, and then you kill it and get sixty. Yeah, it just 000, sits there on the road. Yeah, sixty thousand green gel. But it it seemed. I mean it. Yeah, it's you have to jump through a few hoops. It's going to take you like a while. This this is six minutes of video sped up mostly. So yeah, um, but sixty thousand green gel is not to be sniffed at. Possibly to sneeze no, no, out. No. Um, <laughs> there's a sarcastic nurse party. Um, if you get all the upgrades, uh, probably for many people this will be on their new game plus rather than the first time through. I think it's probably impossible to do all of them on the yeah. first one. I mean, there's there are ones that are like 75,000. Maybe unless you kill this crow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe there's more crows. Uh, but yes, she uh, some fireworks pop out. She has a little party hat on, gives you a sarcastic. Uh, there's some things. She I th- blows the party whistle as well. She, yeah, tutor. What do you, is that yeah. what you call them? in? What do, you, uh, what, what do we call them in different parts of the world? I call it probably, probably tutor. Noisemaker, party streamer. Party peeper. (laughs) Anyway, um, there's some collectibles. I found three of these, I think. There's some uh, Bethesda kind of in-game fan service. You can find various bits from uh, Dishonored and Wolfenstein and Doom and Quake and Fallout and all their properties, Prey, Elder Scrolls and The Evil Within 1. Just for whatever reason, you do get the Doom guy 
uh, Tinny Music when you find him. So that's all in there. I think I found the Panzerhunt, the er uh, the mug, and possibly one other. I, I think I found the I found the Vault Boy and the Elder Scrolls trophy. I think. Uh-huh. Okay, I found the Elder Scrolls trophy, the Panzerhund, and a Doom guy. Yeah, those. Oh, cool. nice. It it is funny that they're like they're not that hard mm. to find. They're shiny, and they and they do really you know they they took me out of the experience yeah. a bit. It was like he's just he's got this collection of bobbleheads that he's putting on <laughs> his desk. Uh, I didn't yeah. find Corvo's mask because I was very scared to go near that abandoned train. Yeah, the, trains are scary. The unit. <laughs> and not just because of the train, but because those flesh hounds were around there, which I didn't like at all. I tried to stay away yeah, from those enemies nice. uh, as much as possible. And the other little treat, and yes, this was doing the rounds on social media a couple of years ago when the game came out. The uh, the seven or eight people who played it made sure that we were aware that if you make your way, perambulate all the way back through the marrow, I guess, uh, and go back to the earliest areas of the game. Is this after you've killed him in a boss fight, or is it? No, it's 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 before you killed him in a boss fight. Uh, That because that would be. Oh, that would just be ridiculous. <laughs> break, break, <laughs> break the continuity. Um, but yeah, if you go back from as far as away as you can and revisit the first safe room, effectively, uh, there's a super tongue-in-cheek, um, knowing exchange between Sebastian and O'Neill uh, that concludes with them punning on the name of the game and staring down the barrel of the camera simultaneously which is which is pretty funny I, i'll give yeah, it to him. it got me hmm. ben 77 million from the forum says for as visually striking and emotionally rousing as the evil within two's final few stages were since beating the game i struggled to remember large portions of the journey leading up to them where the first title's disjointed design and vaguely janky feel combined with its creatively eerie enemy roster and all-over-the-place stage selection form a wild ride rounded out by rough edges, its follow-up felt like a far safer, mundane jaunt that did little to stick out from the myriad alternative horror experiences available. While there was fun to be had in the game's semi-open world and its scavenging gameplay loop enticed me to scour its abandoned houses and car parks, I can't help but shrug at the bland suburban backdrop utilised for most of the game. Although occasional set pieces offered less mundane environs, even these felt frequently derivative, with the gory art exhibition being reminiscent of the 2001 film The Cell. Compared to the smorgasbord of destinations that Sebastian barrelled through in his first outing, ranging from European towns to abstract hellscapes and flooded cities, it's no small wonder that the pavements and driveways of two feel so pedestrian. Similarly, where while the original had the nightmarish screeching spider lady Laura, the anima ghost that appears in two, while somewhat spooky in her sporadic appearances, felt too generic in terms of design to inspire true terror at any point, cool controller gimmick aside. Ultimately, two lacked the unrestrained energy and everything but the kitchen sink approach that characterised the uneven original, resulting in a game that was only excellent in its closing moments. In smoothing out the kinks of one, Two lost not only the lows of its forebear, but the highs too, resulting in an experience so smooth that its contents slipped my mind almost immediately. I have to say, while I don't feel quite so strongly negative about Two as Ben, I very much agree with his overarching point that Two feels slicker but somehow has less personality 
and is slightly less memorable. Like it's a smoother ride and a very enjoyable one. I found it, you know, mostly very enjoyable. But one did for me have more, you know, maybe it's that that Ota Shinji Mikami kind of thing going on, those slightly more quirky, more Japanese kind of corners to that first game. I don't know. I I, I get I, I see the point. Um but it I it I really like Evil Within One and I liked Evil Within Two as well, but I don't think that the design is really superior from one to the other. Like I, I thought that two was a lot more cohesive mm-hmm. as opposed to dull or, or smooth. Uh, you know, and while I, I think that we talked about this in in the show for the first, but I, I think that you know, while there are a lot of cool things going on there, they just don't necessarily fit all the time. So I don't yeah. know. I. This, these two games are very linked together, but I think they're two very different games at mm. the same sure. time as well. Yeah. Jacob? Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I think that um, while maybe one had more, maybe the rough edges of one made it more memorable in some parts, I think that two actually stands out as just a game more to me i think that it's doing more different things than one did which you know seemed to mostly be a a sum of all its different inspirations um so yeah i i don't know i i really i really ended up liking the design and the design change of two quite a bit we mentioned the dlc from the first game a few times some of us played it some of us didn't how about the dlc from this one oh wait there is none I was actually lo- I was looking at the Steam store page. Is there DLC? Yeah, it's a shame because I would play it. You know, it's like there are very few games that I wish there was DLC <laughs> to. But like, if there was DLC for this game, I would buy it. And Honestly, play everything it. almost seemed to hint at uh, Esmeralda Torres being uh, oh, yeah. a protagonist of possible DLC as a sort of action hero character. Until she died. Um, but uh, honestly, I would recommend the DLC from the first game. It almost seems to fit better with this one. And it gives Amen. you more. Uh, well, the the two uh, kind of storyline based ones. There's uh, one, the Executioner, which you take or leave. I mean, if it comes with it, then fine. But I wouldn't seek it out. But um, the assignment and the consequence are, mm. I, I would say, I mean, it's it's sort of a bridge between the two games yeah. but more than that it's where kidman is coming from that she got into this position so i would mm. argue that it it almost fits better as an attachment to like almost a prequel to the second game than it does mm. uh an appendix and they were the directed by uh the director right too. yeah so uh yeah i mean if if you've already got the first game uh, and especially if like me you had uh, a version of the first game that actually came packed with those dlcs then i would say that they are worth a look they're they're pretty meaty too they're a couple of hours each so uh yeah recommended yeah we've alluded to it a few times the game didn't sell very well we're not expecting any more also in putting these show notes together although it varies how long i have to put show notes together this one didn't take as nearly as long as some because there's been very little post-release discourse around (laughs) the evil within two and i know it's partly because it's one of the more recent games that we've covered but and does anyone think i mean maybe it could be jacob who does it but the you know is that are there going to be 
essays written in the future about this is the great survival horror that nobody played, you know, and that and all that kind of thing. Do we think this game's got any kind of legacy? Will there be a Kickstarter campaign to have the third game in five years time or something? I mean, I feel like it's definitely, you know, is is a, a prime candidate for cult classic. Um, you know, it's just hard because it's like the evil within one. I feel like you could kind of go back and say this was better than people gave it credit for. And since a lot of people did play it or at least bought it, you know, they might listen. And and yeah, the the sales on this one are so disappointing that I feel like people won't even have nostalgia for it, except if they're, you know, of the very small handful that actually picked it up. Um, so it's a shame. I mean, I could see the series coming back in, in, you know, five years or so, just as kind of a new horror series, but with kind of name recognition. Um, and, and I would like it to. <laughs> yeah, Tango Gameworks next game is going to be something completely different, right? It was, uh, announced at last year's E3. Yeah. Um, by the, the woman who oh, just left the company. Making? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. The the name of the the game, yeah, kind of escapes me at the moment. It was something spooky, though, right? That was the whole thing about the. <laughs> oh, is it is it Ghost? Yeah, Warrior? yeah, Ghost oh, Warrior. Yeah. That's it. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize that was them. Huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So because um, she worked, it was her name. I Itsumi... would hope. Akumi, Akumi so, yeah, yeah, the one that yeah. She, she's now she's now at uh, Sony. That's yeah. right, but she was work. She she did some work on the Evil Within too. I think. Yeah, she crept up as a co-art designer yeah. in the credits. Yes. When I peeped that when I when I saw the credits roll. And she was working on Ghostwire, but now she's moved on. So that's curious. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, one would hope that if Ghostwire becomes a much larger success than the Evil Within two, then maybe at some point. Uh, Tango and Mikami feel uh, feel compelled to return to the universe of the Evil Within. <laughs> Maybe so. Final word from Nick's Blaster from the forum. Overall, I don't dislike the Evil Within 2. I think the story can be enjoyable at times, even if it is pretty standard. However, I feel that enjoyment is bogged down by having to explore Union and go through the marrow multiple times throughout the game, and the gameplay being somewhat lacklustre. I'm not sure if I would go back to either of the Evil Within games next time Halloween comes around, but I don't regret playing them either. So that's pretty lukewarm. Uh, obviously, if we'd had different opinions, we would have included them. That's just the way it goes sometimes. Yeah. Um, but we also have some three-word reviews, so I guess some more people did play it. Yeah, so Well-Dressed Cat says Ridiculous Daughter Plot. Tales of Tales says Cyber Dad Adventure 2. Web Mistressissa says Dream Mom Hot. Next Blaster says Green Goo Addict. <laughs> Andrew Elmore says The Milkman Conspiracy. Pumpkin on a Vine says Spooky and Silly. Apocrypton says The Boss Rush Slapped. Fire Button says Deserve More Attention. Yeah, I could go along with that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's try to summarize our feelings about the evil within two. Where should I start? I'll start with Leah. Okay, sure. I think I think we're all on <laughs> on a similar level. I think uh, so. It sounds like, yeah. but uh, yeah, I I I like the evil within two a lot. Um, I uh I I I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily say that I liked it more than the first game, but I think I liked it in a slightly different way than I did the first game. Right. Um, I, I enjoy them both, and I think that they both have a place uh, 
for me and for people who enjoy kind of the um the horror genre in in uh particular um worth the time i think even if you are just kind of uh beating through them not for the challenge but more or less like i did for the the story and uh you know a little bit of of combat along the way uh yeah so i i think that especially if you did enjoy the first game and kind of want to see where it goes from there then uh it's it's worth picking up uh, if you didn't play the first game, I might go so far as to say you could skip the first game and go straight to this one. Um, I, I'm not sure if I'd recommend that or not. Uh, I, I Just because you could doesn't necessarily mean you should, but I think you would be okay to do so if this sounds more appealing uh, as a concept. So uh, yeah, I, I recommend it. And uh, I... I might play it again uh, on, in a future Halloween-type uh, season. Hmm. Yeah, it's an easier recommend for me in some ways than the first game, even though I do agree with uh, with our correspondent back there saying that in some ways the, the kind of rough edges being shaved off compared to the original perhaps robbed it of a little of its kind of quirk and personality and charm. That said... Yeah, gameplay wise, I think this is pretty strong and I had a good enough time playing it that I immediately dive back in into the NG plus and wrapped in, uh, you know, wrapped up another several hours into the early hours of the morning, just having fun playing one of those more sandboxy sections. Uh, yeah, boss fights, which are, which can be a real problem in some of these games. Obviously, we've done the Resident Evil and Silent Hill series before, and sometimes those have been my least favourite moments, normally due to what I consider to be frustrating design. Here, uh, they weren't necessarily inspirational moments, but at least they were, they were, they were, you know, enjoyable in the sense that I didn't feel like I was going to get horribly bogged down and and stuck due to lack of execution prowess or whatever. Um, and yeah, the that sort of signature visual motif of the white uh, really does stick with me. And although I think, even though I think overall, actually the freewheeling sort of design sensibilities of the first game kind of are quite memorable. Whereas here you do spend a lot of time in what is effectively a slightly twisted suburban US hellscape landscape the the fact that there are these sections which are so out there compared not only to the rest of the game but also to other games within the genre actually having a different take on what something horrible might look like and actually asks your 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 imagination to come up with a different idea for sensations and and smells of of this evil within um that gives it something something of a hook and yeah and the the gameplay risk and reward the moment to moment the stealth the combat the highs are pretty high uh maybe not you know maybe not the absolute elite highs of some of the greatest games of all time but certainly you know solid and compelling and it's i'm still kind of curious as to why the the drop off like one fifth the amount of people played this one has played diva within it seems and when this is you know i think qualitatively similar by my reckoning and certainly a fun playthrough i'm a bit bemused as to why that should be so yeah check it out people pick it up in a sale and if you've ever loved a, a survival horror action game and you haven't played this one i would recommend rectifying that mikhil 
it's very easy to look at the evil they do at a service level and think like, oh, okay, I'm behind the shoulder of a character again and grown at the idea of it having more of an open world approach. Um, but I think there's really something special and unique to be derived from this title. This game hasn't played like anything else when you add up all the sums of its parts to me, uh, for me. Just that whole idea of this open horror where, where, yeah, enemies and, and, and terrible dangers can jump at you from every corner. This uh, trying to conquer that area, try to make it yours, uh, approaching uh, combat situations from different angles, finding all these nuggets and cra- uh, and and all the in all these nooks and crannies and all these little things of interest. And well, well, that that sense of danger is almost never letting up. Um, yeah, it it strikes a wonderful balance, I think, uh, in 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 so many ways between open-ended approach and handcrafted challenges that is very hard to find and combined with definitely combined with its horror uh horror setting um so i've i've greatly enjoyed my playthrough i took my sweet time to get through this game um i don't think it's you know it's not still despite that it's not in the upper echelon it's not it's not an epic shelf title for me Hmm. Because it still has some issues, it's still not as ref- it's still a little bit unrefined. It's more refined than the first game, but you still have some hitbox issues uh, mm. with uh, with enemies and shots missing, and you know there's still some oddities and quirks and janks. The story, while more relatable, uh, as in this one is more actually about the protagonist uh, than uh, the first game, which was more about the antagonist, um, feels almost like you know an attempt at uh, western style, style script writing hence of course the author of the script but then it has its uh yeah it, it's sort of it inherits bits and pieces and oddities of uh japanese game design that clashes with it as well some robotic delivery some stilted conversation between uh sebastian and the uh the inhabitants of the safe house the mobius employees um so yeah, not exactly epic shelf material, but definitely something that I'm very happy I experienced. And I think I would recommend to just about anyone that feel like that they can deal with uh, an action-adventure game with a very strong horror emphasis on it <laughs> and some genuinely upsetting, scary, anxiety-inducing content in it. Yes, content warning. Know yourself. <laughs> mm. Don't play this if easily freaked out. Yeah, probably right. Uh, let's finish with Jacob. Yeah, so as we've been talking about this, something that's occurred to me uh, is is that although this is undoubtedly a, a next-gen title or a current-gen mm. title, you know, it looks beautiful, it does interesting things with the tech, all of that, it, it kind of feels to me like a PS2-era game in just how how inventive it feels and how kind of like willing to do things differently it is you know it it feels like it was made in a time when not every game had to be a huge success because it had everything that we recognized from every other game um 
And maybe that led to it not being a huge success because we we know that this didn't sell very well. But but for me, The Evil Within 2 really goes in a kind of special category of games that are both genuinely horrifying and that I would play again because of just how fun they are. And and they're I maybe, you know, Dead Space and and Resident Evil 4 um are are the only two other ones in that category but like i could see myself going back into the evil within 2 and playing on one of those extreme difficulties and i certainly couldn't see myself doing that with one um and and i don't do that with many games at all um but but it just like it, the line that it walks really works for me i think that it is you know inventive from a gameplay perspective i think that it has systems to master that you could spend a long time on and like i said the story the story got to me in in a way that i've found really really unexpectedly moving um so yeah i it it's not a game for anyone or everyone but like you know if if you just like have liked any of the games that i have liked in the past you know is i can't imagine you not enjoying the evil within right we always manage to end on a if you like this kind of game this is the kind of game you'll like (laughs) i I also would like to see a list of all the games you've liked before in the past just so i know just so i know every single one he's only young how many can there be Exactly, uh, and I, I also wanted to say, um, although I, I feel like we've been, you know, kind of rude about the sales of this game, but actually, if this podcast had three quarters of a million downloads, we'd be pretty pleased with that. So, uh, so yeah. yeah, but no, we would also have spent thirty million dollars. <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah, it didn't cost that much to make, but not quite anyway. But you know, patreoncom slash Rinse, you can help us out. <laughs> Uh, so it remains for me, Leon, to thank Jacob, Leah and Michiel, as well as our correspondents. And to you for listening, please review, rate, subscribe to our podcasts and yeah, donate a dollar a month or more if you wish. It really does help. We are not Tango Gameworks. Uh, <laughs> uh, you can get every Ken and Rince podcast a week earlier, more often than not extended beyond the two hours of the free version and that exclusive monthly show. And next time in issue 397, a year before the Millennium Falcon did it in the Empire Strikes Back, we were navigating our way through asteroid fields and blasting tiny rocks into even smaller atoms in asteroids. Somehow